Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is again, Every ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Jerry Springer. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Gene. I, you know, when Gene claps, I, I, that feels that feels really good inside. You know? <laughs> I, I've never Jerry, seen Gene applaud. Who hurt me. you, sweetheart? Who hurt you? Who hurt me? <laughs> no, the question hey, yeah. is, uh, just look up who knows me. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's a correlation. Last uh, week we had Sean Benfield from Beckley, West Virginia. He's outstanding. We asked him to come back. He agreed. We're going to have him uh, shortly. Uh, and the heart of this podcast, of the Jerry Springer podcast, is Jerry Springer's unique take on some current event in America. Uh, Jerry, what caught your interest this week? Oh, um, well, at first blush, the issue seems hardly worthy of serious concern, considering the major challenges our nation is currently facing, from the frontal assault on American democracy to a pandemic which just won't seem to go away. So when I first saw the story of NBA star Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets being benched by his team for refusing to be vaccinated against COVID, which New York State and other states now require, my reaction was, big deal, he's an idiot, his team favored by some to be in the finals. If he does play, his team will suffer, but the world will go on. And then I thought, it, uh, thought about it some more. Sports has historically been a stage upon which the cultural and political controversies of the day have been symbolized and played out for the world to see. Be it the Olympics, where nations march in with their flags and anthems, and individual athletes express their own often controversial views on issues of the day, the raised fist on the gold medal stand in 1968, the Munich massacre in 72, the U.S.-Soviet hockey match in 1980, do you believe in miracles, the Cold War on ice, in football, the taking of the knee during the national anthem, John Gruden, coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, having his career end due to a racist and homophobic email sent. And most famously, Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier back in 1947. And Muhammad Ali being stripped of his heavyweight title and jailed for his, for his uh, views on Vietnam. As much as we think sports is an escape from our daily lives and turmoils, it is not. It is merely a mirror held up to reflect the dichotomy between who we say we are and who we really are. Sports, indeed, is the largest platform upon which our cultural and political tensions are expressed. So Kyrie Irving refusing to be vaccinated is suddenly a bigger story than the current standing in the NBA's Eastern Conference. Listen to what Kyrie Irving said. He said, it's not about the money. Indeed, he's going to lose half of his $35 million salary. But my guess is he'll still be able to get by on uh, the remaining $17.5 million. 
It's not about being against people who take the vaccine, he said. It's about, and here's the key part. He says, quote, it's about the freedom of what I want to do. Well, with all due respect to Mr. Irving, don't mask your astounding selfishness with highfalutin declarations of freedom. It has nothing to do with freedom. People are dying, over a million already. States like New York are doing whatever they can to contain and eliminate the pandemic. And for you, from a pedestal of privilege, it's about your convenience, the hell with how it affects anyone else, the other players and people around you who might get sick. What does it do to all your teammates who need you to play? Your attitude that the rules and mandates don't apply or they do apply to everyone else, but you're above the rules, above the law. You'll agree to play in states that don't have the mandate. Well, that's a selfishness that poisons all the causes that you profess to be fighting for. Look, we don't make enough progress in our country on issues such as racism, poverty, education, housing, healthcare, because we have this same cultural and institutional attitude of why should I care? Why should I pay higher taxes for services that I don't need? Early childhood education, school lunch programs, healthcare for all, housing. It's just about what's good for me, my own freedom, even if other people get harmed in the process. So when Kylie Irving complains about the lack of justice in our society, he needs to look at his own behavior, how it influences everybody else, and the lesson it teaches all the kids that look up to him. Screw everybody else. It's what's best for me. Once again, sports becomes our classroom. He would do better to remember the oldest cliche in sports, there's no I in team. Yeah. That's good, Jerry. Yeah, isn't Thanks. it astounding how some people, whether it's Eric Clapton or Irving and their other examples, especially in the political world, on the conservative side, who say yeah. that it's my individual choice. I mean, if you applied that to going through stop signs or pick any law you want. Yeah at the freedom if i if i don't want to slow down for stoplights you know especially late at night i don't see anybody around you drive through them all well that's absurd anyway good point yeah hey yeah. uh you and i have been uh communicating back and forth just talked about it tonight of uh your requests coming to you and they have in the past many times from the democratic party particularly in ohio uh, where you are well known, where you ran for governor once, what, 1982, you were a news anchor man, you were the mayor of Cincinnati, council member for many years. Uh, so you and, and your man, I can say as kind of the witness, because often I've been Jerry's political entourage of one. So he's got somebody. You do a great job, though, Gene. Somebody who, when someone comes over and says, hey, can you uh, speak to my Democratic club? And and Jerry was is phenomenal at being willing. He's a phenomenal speaker, one of the best stump speakers, speakers I've ever heard in my life. Sure. And also is willing to go where often others won't. Ah, it's too small. It's not worth my time. It's too expensive to go to 
Columbiana County or Brown County, east of Cincinnati, places like that. And so Jerry's willing to go. So he's getting requests again when you come out and speak to my gathering, my yearly party dinner. So it made me think of something. I was talking the other day to Gwen McFarland. She happens to be the Hamilton County Democratic Party chair. That's in southwestern Ohio. And uh, we were having a long chat just about a bunch of stuff. She's a friend of mine, friend of Jerry Springer's as well. And uh, Gwen's on the Board of Elections in Hamilton County. And that made me say, hey, I was on it in Claremont County. She said, no way. I didn't know you lived in Claremont. And I said, yeah, for a bunch of years. And I ran for county commissioner in Claremont. And I was active in the Democratic Party, member of the Board of Elections, blah, blah, blah. She said, do you know where I come from? And I said, no. Now, horrible of me to say, she's an African-American woman. I just automatically, in stereotyping, this is not a good thing. I thought, Gwen, probably from an urban area, whether it's Cincinnati or somewhere else. No, I was raised on my dad's farm in Felicity, Ohio, which is, you know it, Jerry, it's farm country, rural, east of Cincinnati and Claremont County. She said, well, my dad's farm waned because tobacco crop was stopping, which was good. We moved to Ripley, Ohio, and then ultimately we landed in Batavia, the county seat of Claremont County, where I graduated from high school. She happened to have been the valedictorian, member of the drill team, popular, went off to Miami University and the rest is history. And she's a very successful woman, younger than Jerry and me, but latter years. So she tells me about this book, Jerry, called Beyond the River. And I read it. And the river, the book Beyond the River, tells about the Underground Railroad, but very specifically to the Ripley line. So now we're talking right over the Claremont County line. And Gwen lived there for a while. And there were two men, a guy named John Rankin lived to the age of 93, raised a bunch of kids. His wife, Jean, was was as adamant as he was about being anti-slavery. They were abolitionists, Jerry and Megan. In this book, written by a woman who is a writer for the Wall Street Journal, she teaches or at least taught writing at Jerry's old law school university, Northwestern. In this book, Jerry talks about all these places that you go to and speak, whether oh, it's, that'd be great to take a look. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's, it's really cool. So we're talking the 18 all the 1800s through the Civil War. What's and the name of it again? Beyond the River, which is Beyond a term the river. that the slaves used. They would always say, you got to get beyond the river. And they may not have even known what that river was, what it was called. And yeah, if they the Mason-Dixon line. So our listeners, the Jerry Springer podcast, I guarantee you, you would love this book if you have any taste for history. But the just a, one last brief thing. When you got to the river, and if you go out to Ripley, I've been there many times, this is all still there. At the top of the hill looking down to the river, just 500 feet above the riverbank on the Ohio side, is the home preserved, now it's a museum, where the Rankin family grew up and where he raised his family. And he put 
every night in the window of his home in the slaves who were escaping on the Underground Railroad who used the song Follow the Drinking Gourd, which, of course, was the Big Dipper because at the base of the of the dipper part uh, of the ladle is a bright star. That's the North Star. So they would follow that bright star near the Big Dipper, and that would take them basically to the Ohio River. And there they would see this light on top of that hill, and they would cross that river any way they could, go up that hill, and they were usually met by other abolitionists down on what was called Front Street. Eventually, a free slave named John Parker had a home on Front Street. They got themselves there. He then took them up to the Rankin House, and then they went, notice these places, Sardinia, Ohio. We've been through all of these as I, as as entourage of one, have traveled with you around the state doing political work. All these little towns, Chillicothe, working your way all the way to Cleveland to then cross the river there to get into Ontario, and that was true freedom. So beyond the river, it's an unbelievable story, very well written, very quick reading. And I'm sorry, Gene, who was the author again? Their name is Anne uh, Hegedorn. H-E-G-A-D-O-R-N, Anne Hegedorn. We're not the Oprah Anne book club. Hegedorn, Beyond the River. Yeah, Beyond the River. But it is, um, it's it's really good. So, you know, it, it brings alive. And by the way, Underground Railroad, and this, you know, you can find all this in this kind of a book. 100,000 slaves escaped the horrors of slavery, including, I live in Northern Kentucky, Megan, you do too. Al, the history of our state is ugly. And Kentucky may have been a neutral state during the war, but trust me. It was the last place they had uh, to escape. Man, and they were, there were slaves in places like Covington, Kentucky, where you're literally on the riverbank looking at Cincinnati and Florence, Kentucky, where I live now, where they had Bastion set up to catch the last of the freed slaves that were trying to get to the river. Like it was celebrated when I was growing up. They had these Mm. Bastions like set up to catch the last of the underground folks before they made it to the river. Hey, by the way, and in the book, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, he lived because her husband was a professor at Lane College of Theology in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati was key to the, There's, by the way, the Underground Railroad Freedom Center, where George Clooney and his wife were honored last Saturday night for their donations and their work at the Underground Railroad Freedom Center. Wait a second, Amal Clooney was here? Amal was here. And, and that's a Smithsonian level of museum. And it's located in Cincinnati because of Cincinnati's key role in the Underground Railroad. But at any rate, this woman named Eliza came across the river one night in the winter, in the spring, actually, as the ice was breaking, carrying a baby wrapped in a shawl, broke through the ice multiple times. They had to swim the river tossed the baby up on the hard ice, climbed back up on the hard ice, nearly died, got across the river, and a slave catcher 
from Ripley, this is all in this book, was waiting to catch a fugitive, didn't know who she was. When she got to the riverbank, he, he was quoted, this is in the book, of like, anybody who will come across that river in these conditions has earned her freedom. And that racist, white supremacist slave catcher got her out of the river and pointed to the house on the hill and said, see that lantern? She said, yes. He said, get up there. They'll help you get the freedom. And that woman, as they took her to Canada, zigzagged to outrun the slave chasers, because Fugitive Slave Act, what, 1850? Jerry, you're a real yeah. student. 1850, so, yeah. And they're paying big money. A slave catcher would get 500 bucks if they get somebody on the free state back to Kentucky and then yeah. back farther south. They ended up in Cincinnati, her guide and this Eliza, and they, she met with, at the request of Professor Stowe, met with Harriet Beecher Stowe, and she made her the main character of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she came through Ripley, Ohio, and Brown County. Shut up. That place, and these abolitionists, I sometimes wonder, Jerry, you know, when we look back on the stuff that we did through our lives, which pales in comparison to that bravery. Sure. If you and I and Megan were around in 1830, 1840, I don't want to hear from people who say, well, Jefferson had slaves, but it was a different time. If you lived then, you would have had them too. And, you know, it, it's you had to be there. It was a different time. No, John Rankin, and uh, he was white. He knew in 1800, yeah. Yeah. slavery was BS. And all the words that are in all of the speeches are right out of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Oppression, yeah. brutality, uh, every man in God's eyes is equal. He quoted from the preamble of the Constitution, all this stuff about, you know, all men are created equal. So it doesn't matter when you were around. Wrong is wrong. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I've always and, and, thought, and fact, Jim, just to be fair, like I'm mouthy enough that no matter what generation I was born in, I would have had some problems. So especially back then when I would have had an opportunity to possibly speak up if I had had an education. But looking back, I may not have been able to have an education. I may have just been, you know, somebody's wife without anything to say. And so you look and yeah. you say, I would do this. I would do that. You don't know. Don't, don't know. know I don't know. That's that you were in. real fair because I don't I can talk big here. But if, I'm telling you again, I, why I beseech people to read beyond not, the that book sounds amazing. It puts you in their circumstances and it describes how some of the people were sympathetic, but were afraid to yeah. lift the finger because these people were getting the crap kicked out of them. Yep. And there was a price yeah. on John Rankin's head. So, yeah, I don't know. But by God, I hope the hell I would have done what was right. And my main point is wrong is wrong. I don't want to hear about errors. Wrong. wrong. Yeah. Is and wrong. the fact is, and, and the fact is, 
in every era, no matter how bad the conventional wisdom was, the truth is there were always people that were abolitionists during all of this. So there were people that saw it. So it isn't like it was impossible to know right from wrong. There were movements. And take a look at our own circumstance right now. We're not, our great-grandchildren aren't going to be able to say, well, that was the time because we do have Black Lives Matter. We do have the women's movement. We do have all these, even though the great masses might, you know, the power structure might be against these improvements. 50 years from now, 30 years from now, people are going to say, were people really opposed to the concept of Black Lives Matter? Really? I mean, it's going to look as stupid and as crazy as looking back in the 1850s and 60s what, what life was right. There is, you are exactly right. There is a right and wrong on the great major issues of the day. And the people that will wind up having been on the wrong side of history, and we see it now, we see with this Congress, with this Senate, with the politics of today, with the culture wars of today, we see who's on the wrong side of history because 20 years from now, they will look absolutely foolish. Every well, movie that comes out will have the bad guy being Mitch McConnell. You gentlemen, know it. what's the name of our what's the name of our company? Liberals always win. Win. In the end, we do. It's yeah. just getting to that end is so, so annoying. <laughs> oh, why can't we just get there already? Yeah, why do we have to demonstrate? Can't you just listen to us the first time? <laughs> because fairness and equality are so central to the core value of this program it, it makes me realize the relevancy of pointing out something. Uh, and, and Megan, you were, uh, you had laryngitis and were unable to be with us on a couple of recordings because of that. And during that, I pointed out to Jerry Springer that he, I, and I didn't preach to him, Megan. I just said, look, if I'm a beacon of light, let, let me shine. And I said, I am adjusting my eating habits because my brain says, stop eating that crap, these desserts after every meal, you get ice cream cake and you know, the, you know, the drill, Megan, bad stuff is bad for you. So I went back home, yeah. Megan, I went back home and I am eating every lunch and dinner at yeah. the end, jello, a little cup of jello, Megan, with a little yeah. bit of, this uh, is right up there with abolitionists. Yeah, you are just the biggest. Uh, what a sacrifice, sir. There right. is no issue that and Jerry Malvin cannot demean. <laughs> there is no cause. There is no that you can bring the abolition movement and bring it down to why people aren't eating Jello. Jello. That's it. <laughs> Jerry, How though, do you he's do it, your James? best friend. How so, what does that say about you? Like, this Megan, is your go-to guy. I'm sorry. Megan, stand with me. Jerry mocked me as an old dude because he, and hey, Jerry, did I not send you like later that night a photo? I texted you a photo. You did. <laughs> at the end of dinner, a little, Megan, hey, Megan, it, they're sugar-free. 
So lighten up. They're sugar-free. Send me <laughs> his dessert. At the grocery store, Megan. Megan, the whipped cream is is light. I don't know what the hell that means, but it's light. So they're very healthy. And they just chirp at you when you eat them. They're wonderful. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Gene, for your philosophizing <laughs> yeah. for the evening. I think we have a musical guest tonight, don't we? <laughs> if you heard him last week, you know how great he is. <laughs> hey, <Thank> Sean. <laughs> hey, how are you? Sorry, guys doing? Gene. Didn't mean to, you know, cut off yeah. that brilliance it, there, but it's fair. It's fair. We love you, Gene. <laughs> Sean, welcome back, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing great. What are your uh, what are your thoughts on Gene's healthy eating? I like Jello, man. I got no problems with Jello. In fact, I just bought some. Walk with me, Sean. We'll get Jello together, man. We'll march yeah. our Jello down the street. Hey, hey, Sean. We're called Jello heads. Yes, that sounds even cooler. Jello yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my God, Sean! Please tell us about your music, so we don't have to talk about Jello heads anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, this next video is just me eating Jello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it green or yellow? Like, what's your flavor? Green Jello, yellow? man. Yeah, watermelon, watermelon Jello. All right, oh, fair. good stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, this next song will be called uh, "The Way of the World." Um, this one I wrote right around when COVID kicked us into staying home all the time because. Uh, uh, things were picking up for me. Stuff was starting to take off. And then I had an album coming out and then COVID hit. And then poof, <laughs> and then it just put a yep. stop to everything. So then then I was struggling right in. And now I'm back in the studio working on a new record. So hopefully it'll do better than this last one because of COVID. But uh, this song's called Wave of the World. And it's, it's pretty much about this, what we were talking about, how people don't want to be a team player and, and just, I mean... And how if you could save a life, why are you going to go out and try to hurt somebody? And that's pretty much just the Great anger is, is, is in the song. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. This is Sean Benfield and the way of the world. Well, I walked on the water And I've drowned in the sand And I have talked to Jesus And I've held the devil's hand And I keep I think I did you wrong with somebody Please just tell me what the hell is going on There's no sense in trying World's done and gone to hell But I just keep on singing 
Sean Benfield. Thank you, Blue Lava Audio. Go follow him on Facebook. Go follow me on Facebook. We love you guys. Good night. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. Thank you All right, so like much. Sean said, go follow him Thank on Facebook. Sean. That's Sean Benfield. S-H-A-W-N-B-E-N-F-I-E-L-D. While you're checking him out, please make sure you go to Spotify, anywhere you check out any of your podcasts, and give us a five-star review. We're here for you. We hope you're here for us. Check out Sean and his awesome music, and make sure you tune in next week for an amazing broadcast from Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery. Take it away, Jerry. Well, I'm going to lay down my heavy load down by the riverside. Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside.